All right, get your Bibles out this morning. I'm going to jump in quickly here. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel 25. And I want to just pick up, I like to review, uh, just to remind us, we've been talking about essential pillars in establishing high trust relationships and being a high trust person. And I've heard from our life groups, if you're in a life group, thank you, uh, because you're helping me pastor you uh, by some of the great leaders that we have and the great relationships we have. But what we've been talking about is this, I want to be a high trust person, how about you? And I want to be a high trust person because I want people to be able to uh, allow me in to hear their story, to understand their struggles, and to be a safe place where I can be committed to their blessing. How about you? And if we have a church that's full of relationships like that, how about even in your marriage? Wouldn't it be great if we have high trust marriages where we know our spouse has our back uh, and that we can live carelessly, meaning we're not worried about having to guard ourselves and be protective because we're in relationships with people who truly love us and truly do have our back. So praise the Lord. That's what we're after. And my, my challenge to all of you has been not to apply this to your spouse first and foremost or to your neighbor or to your boss, but look in the mirror and we apply it to ourselves because I found this to be true. If I can be a high-trust person, it's going to transform my relationship with my wife. Um, and, uh, and sometimes we're waiting for our spouse to get their act together. And really, if we would just focus on getting our act together, it would have a big impact on the people around us. So how about this commitment? Let's all be committed to being high-trust people. And I shared with you a couple of things. First of all was understanding. Uh, I need to know your story. I need to know who you are. And I need you to know I care about you so that you can be careless. In other words, you're not thinking about whether or not this is a safe relationship. You have to invest zero time wondering if that's the case. So, uh, and, and we have this saying around here that I love to say, and I hope it become part of your uh, words to people. Just simply say, hey, I'm committed to your success, and then mean it. I'm committed to your success. Can you say that to somebody around you right now and get in good conscience, maybe your spouse? That's a great thing to say. Committed to your success. The second thing we talked about was the issue of motive. Why are you here, and are you here for me? Are you here for blessing? I ask that the people that come to Livingstone's Church, why are you here? Are you here for our good? Are you here to be a blessing? Or do you have mixed motives? It's important to know why people do what they do. Last week, we talked about competence. You can have someone that's really nice, really for you, has your back, but in certain areas, you can't trust them because they just simply are not capable of delivering what they said they would deliver. And so you got to watch those kind of situations, and you got to make sure, like I said, if you see me coming at you with a screwdriver, run the other direction. I... I will not be able to help you, no matter what my intentions, all right? Uh, call my wife if it's anything mechanical, all right? That was not a gift that I had. In fact, I used to laugh whenever we got Christmas gifts from the grandparents, and you open it up, and it's got all these pieces. I'm like, honey, come fix this gift for our kids. And, uh, and she would, you know, or else the other option was let me do it. And then I say, wow, look at all these extra parts they gave us. That was so nice. Um, so anyway, thank God for gifts. But know, know people's gifts. And how I many of you know you need to know what your gifts are? That's a, it's like self-awareness is a good thing. Like, how has God graced me? Who am I? Who am I not? And then when you figure out who you're not, don't try to be that person because you're not going to be a very good person with being who you're not. Just be you. 
uh, and, and embrace who God has made you to be. Uh, and then if you'll be you, you'll be good at being you. And if you're good at being you, you'll have competence in being you. And then people will trust you. Isn't that cool how that works? So I'm going to preach today from a passage of Scripture that I've always found intriguing. I always wanted to do this at like a marriage encounter or something like that, but it goes way beyond marital application. But it's, to me, one of the most disastrous marriage stories in all of the Bible, and I wanted to fit it in somehow, and so I'm going to fit it in today. Is that okay with you guys? This is really more about me feeling good about finally being able to preach on this passage. No, I'm kidding. There's a lot of application, because here's what we're going to talk about. You can have all those previous characteristics we just mentioned, but if you don't have character in certain areas, that character exposes itself. I shared a few weeks ago the story of when I, I went to have my body checked out. I won't even mention what part of my body, not because it's secret or embarrassing, but I just don't want to give away the doctor's identity. But the doctor was highly competent. We talked about that last week. In fact, he was very, very smart. And he knew he was very smart. And he sat in the room right next to me, which I assume was his office, cussing out the hospital that he worked for and just ripping them up one side and down the other, just anger and dropping F-bombs and everything like this. And he knows I'm sitting right across the hall waiting for my evaluation. And I'm thinking, this guy is not going to get near me with a scalpel because if he's that much of a hothead and he has zero self-awareness, Like, dude, you're in your office, and there's patients in your office, and you're acting like an idiot. Why would I let you cut me open? Because I don't want an idiot cutting me open. Does this make sense? In other words, there is a character deficiency and a complete lack of self-awareness in that situation. And so let's get into a great passage, 1 Samuel 25. There was a wealthy man from Maon who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. Let's just say this. This guy was ridiculously successful. He was wealthy. He was filthy wealthy in the economy of those days, all right? So in the world's eyes, this is one successful businessman, all right? Let's keep reading. It was sheep shearing time. This was comparable to the harvest time. This was a good time. This means you come in, you know, you can't shear sheep that you don't have. So if you lose sheep or they're destroyed or eaten by animals or whatever, you're robbed, then you can't shear the sheep. If you can't shear the sheep, you got no income, all right? That's what, that's what this guy's doing. So this is an exciting time. The man's name was Nabal. His wife was Abigail. Abigail was sensible and beautiful, but Nabal was a descendant of Caleb, and he was crude and mean in all of his dealings. And so, as we mentioned, Nabal would be, could be described as a competent man. He was very good at what he did. He was very rich. And how many know there's four kinds of riches in life? There's riches in what you have, material things. There's riches in what you do. There's riches in what you know. And then there's riches in who you are. Riches in who you are speaks of character. And Nabal was a very rich man, but only in what he had. He had the lowest form of riches. As we'll see, he was very poor when it comes to character. So it's harvest time. It's a party time. It's a celebration time. It's a time for lavish hospitality. 
But now we get a little indication into who Nabal is. His, I mean, you know, in the Bible, when, when you were given a name, your name many times was a prophetic picture of your character and who you were going to become. You ready for this? How would you like to name your kid Fool? <laughs> hey, Fool, get over here, all right? That's what Nabal's name means. And he lived up to it perfectly. So can I just encourage all the parents, before you place a name on your child, look up the meaning of that name, all right? Because you don't want to prophesy something over your child that you don't want them, uh, you know, moving forward and as far as their character, all right? So Nabal's name means fool. But it gets worse than that because it says Nabal was a descendant. He came from the household of Caleb. Caleb's name means dog. So Nabal was a fool who always lived in the doghouse, all right? That's what I'm trying to tell you about this passage. <laughs> it's going to get worse, all right? At the same time, his wife had both competence and character. Abigail was a woman of beauty and sensibility. Take a look at what happens next in verse 4. When David heard that Nabal was sharing his sheep, he sent 10 of his young men to Carmel with this message. Peace and prosperity to you and your family and to everything you own. Does that sound familiar with anywhere we've been in this series? This is exactly almost word for word verbatim what Abishai said to David, right? He said, look, he's, he's speaking here about his motives. These, these 10 young men are coming, and why are they here? They're saying peace to you prosperity to you on your family on everything that you own and then they go on to explain i'm told that it is sheep sharing time while your shepherds stayed near uh, near carmel we never harmed them and nothing was ever stolen from them in other words david and his men operated in the utmost of integrity they did not touch any of of nabal's uh, livestock and not only that they protected his livestock from philistine raiders who would come in uh, with the goal of stealing it all right he says, ask your own men, and they will tell you that this is true. In other words, this is a high-integrity relationship right here. Just talk to them. They'll tell you everything I'm saying is true. So would you be kind to us? Again, David and his men are, are on the move. They're running from Saul. Uh, they're, they're, they're living conditions not so great. And they're, and they're simply saying, would you be kind to us since we've come at this time of celebration? Here's a simple request. Please share any provisions that you might have on hand with us and with your friend David. Notice the language there, friendship. What they're clearly saying is David is here to bless you. David is a friend. Could you invite us in and let us join the celebration? Obviously, the issue is not having enough food, etc. This guy is filthy rich. There's plenty of food. There's plenty to be shared. Uh, and it's a simple request on, on behalf of David through his men. Uh, and then it says they waited for Nabal to give a reply. So this is a, a, a relationship based on trust. David did not send all of his army. This was not an intimidation thing. He just sent 10 young men to represent him. And basically, he's simply appealing to Nabal's generosity. Now, I want you to look at Nabal's character uh, in verse 10. This is what his response was to David. Who is this fellow David? Nabal sneered to the young men. Now, let me just add, everybody in that whole region knows who David is. He knows who David is. But he's, he, this is a, a direct insult. He says, who does this son of Jesse think he is? There's lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread, my water, 
my meat that I've slaughtered for my shears and give it, oh, here's another insult, give it to this band of outlaws who come from who knows where? Can I just tell you, Nabal is the epitome of a fool. Do you all remember last week who came to join David when he was hiding? Men who, at the weakest, one could take a hundred. And at their best, one could take on a thousand. This idiot, that's an appropriate use of the word, all right? This idiot just insulted the guy that as a teenager took down an over nine foot tall Goliath with a slingshot when he was a kid. This was really dumb. He insults David's integrity. He slams him. He ridicules him. He calls him an outlaw. When David, how many know David has done nothing but live to bless Saul? And he's called an outlaw. These are fighting words. He accused him of being a rebel. He lies against his character. And then he exposes his greedy, prideful heart. How many of you know when people uh, in the marketplace say, this is my bread, my water, my, my livestock, my, 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 my. I'm responsible for this. How I many you know that's not a good place to be? Because how I many you know God's responsible for the blessing on our lives? And, and how about this? He expects us to share that which he has blessed us with. In other words, one of the signs of a godly man and a man of good character uh, is he's a generous man. Uh, so Nabal is not operating with any of this. But here's what I want you to do. Let, let's just give him the benefit of the doubt, and let's just call him honest. Honest. There are some people that pride themselves. This is not a good thing, but I'm going to throw this out here. There are some people who pride themselves in being honest. What they mean is they have no problem telling you what they think. And, uh, and listen, I, I'm all for being a straight shooter, but there's a difference between being a straight shooter and being somebody who's full of yourself and has no filter. Like, just try that with your wife. Honey, I'm always going to be a straight shooter with you. I'm just going to tell it like it is. Then I will be picking myself up off the floor with stars in my eyes <laughs> and taking the high heel out of the side of my head, all right? In other words, that's not how you treat people. There's nothing, there's nothing admirable about being honest if your honesty destroys people. Um, but there are people who pride themselves and just, well, I'm just going to tell you what I think. Well, that's not going to work very well for you. We're going to find out why in just a minute. In other words, a person of integrity is often described basically as someone that can be trusted to be honest. So they don't lie, they don't cheat, they don't steal. You, we assume that person is trustworthy. And can I just say this? Lying, cheating, and stealing, if, if we practice those things, we have zero trust for any, anybody that lies, cheats, and steals. So I'm talking about that's, that's like baseline. How I many you know if you're a follower of Christ, we don't lie to people, we tell the truth? We don't cheat people. We're not full of duplicity. We're not playing some shell game. We're not saying one thing meaning another. We're not speaking half-truths. So, like, that, that's, that, that's the basement floor level of character and integrity. But how many of you know there are people that won't lie to you, but there's still people that you cannot trust in certain arenas because of a character deficiency that will flare up? And I'm going to show you what I'm talking about here. Let, let's just assume that Nabal was somebody who didn't lie, cheat, or steal, all right? But character is more than simply morality. 
In other words, in the business world, some of you guys understand what I'm talking about here. In the business and leadership community, we have a lot of writing now about what we call soft skills, emotional uh, uh, intelligence. Let's talk a little bit about emotional intelligence. It deals with self-awareness, how we, re- how we manage our relationships, how we manage ourself, social awareness, what's going on around you. It, it, it uh, deals with how people approach relationships, tasks, stress, difficulties, conflict, fear, goals, emotions, and the like, all right? And so here's the question. If you're looking to hire somebody, they might be incredibly smart and competent. They might be somebody who doesn't lie, cheat, or steal. But how many of you know that's not enough? Because you want to ask questions like this. How do they handle their emotions and the emotions of other people? How do they control themselves? How adaptable are they when things don't go right? Like, I just picture this surgeon, and let's just say I'm on the operating table, and somebody nicks an artery or something, and I start bleeding. I want to know how that surgeon is going to respond. Like, I know he knows what to do, but at that moment, emotionally, what's going on? Is he going to start dropping all the F-bombs I just heard moments ago? Is he going to start cursing all the nurses and the support team that he has? Um, Is he going to start flying off the handle because something unexpected happened and all of a sudden he's out of control? I mean, you know, you're not going to put your trust in somebody who loses it and acts like Nabal, a fool, when things just don't go right. In other words, how do you manage your emotions when stuff's happening? Like, what if I came to church? What if I had a bad week? And what if I didn't come to church? What if I just said, you know what? I don't like people. In fact, I don't like you guys. All right, I'm just going to stay home. You guys can have church on your own. Would you hire that person to be a pastor? No. What if my children's ministry leaders had a bad week? They all, all of a sudden decided, I've had kids up to here. We're going out of town. We need some R&R. Are they going to be leading your children's ministry? No. Let me just help you out. No. I don't care how smart they are. I don't care how many kids they work with. I don't care how long they've been doing it. If they cannot handle their emotions properly, or what if our greeters is more? What if Sam and Rachel are out there and they had a bad week in their marriage? Hey, they were out there. They did a great job. Give it up for Sam and Rachel. And what if while they're at the door this morning, they continue with the fight that they just had on their way here? People are walking in. They're supposed to be greeting. But they're like at the door. I'm just asking you. If I said, is Sam a man of integrity? You all say, yeah, was Sam tell the truth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is Sam, yeah, but Sam just lost it at the door when he's supposed to be greeting people in the love of Jesus. So let me just help you out. Sam ain't going to be a greeter, at least not now. Because Sam needs to grow in that area of his life because Sam's acting like a fool. And we can't have fools at the door. Now, anybody that knows Sam knows that is not Sam at all, brother. Love you, man. All right, I'm just, I'm just painting a picture. Like, don't ever let that happen. 
Do not let that happen. Now, I know Rachel. She's sensible. She's beautiful. Hey, but sometimes we're not sensible and beautiful. All right, I'm just saying. How do they work well with others? Now, let's take a look at David's response because this is important. David just got massively insulted. How many of you know somebody should have run to David and given him John Bevere's book, Bait of Satan, right at that moment? <laughs> David, read this. Read this, David. Please read this because if David were a fish, Nabal is a dangling, a gigantic, beautiful worm out in front of David, and he's waiting for him to take the bite, all right? Look at how David responds in, uh, in verse 12. So David's young men returned and told him what Nabal had said. And here's David's response. Get your swords. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> this is such an alpha male response. <laughs> David's like, get your swords. He already had his. And what is he going to do? Here's what he's going to do. He's going to kill them all. That's why I love this passage. This, have any of you guys ever, ever been in relationships when somebody insulted you and all of a sudden you're standing there and now it's a matter of you got to demonstrate your masculinity and you're, and, and you're going to show that you are the man and no one's going to talk to you that way and now you got this big confrontation happening. I mean, I don't raise hands. I know there's a lot. Of, this is exactly what David's doing. David's like, boys, get rock and roll, baby. Let's go. I got my sword. Heads are going to roll. Let's go. 400 men started off with David, and he left 200 behind just to guard the equipment. 400 guys coming after Nabal because he is a fool. He's rich, and he's a fool at the same time. And it's about to hit the fan. He's going to be a dead man. This comes, for David, by the way, this is not a high point in David's character. Because check this out. What comes out of you when people insult you or they say things about you or when your motives are questioned or when you're serving and actually people treat you like a servant, meaning you're not getting any pats on the back or appreciation, or when somebody comes right out and says something evil about you. Now, let me just tell you, I got some, I got some experience in this because I've run for office twice. And let's just say I've, I've had 60,000 pieces of literature that's going door to door lying about my integrity or my character. So I know how this feels. And there's days I wanted to say, get your sword. We're going to go kill some orcs, all right? Lord of the Rings illusion there for any of you that did not watch Lord of the Rings. I want you to see this. I mean, you know, David showed Saul a great amount of patience and grace never once spoke against the Lord's anointed. But when he's dealing with somebody that he perceives as an equal or lesser, then his flesh comes out. Can, can I encourage you all? It's easy to honor people that you esteem or that you esteem to be more honorable than yourself or more authority than yourself. But the true test of character is the people that maybe you don't see that way who treat you that way. And can I just tell you, God will send people in your life as an integrity check to see how you handle people made in the image and likeness of God. In other words, do you have the same grace for people that you would say, that guy is an idiot, as you do for someone that you esteem? Because that person 
is the person that's really testing what you're really made of. And, uh, and like I said, I wish David had read Bait of Satan. It would have saved him from grabbing a hold of that offense. But here's the point. David's intentions are not good. David's very, very angry, and David's going to take the situation into his own hands. Now, let's, let's keep reading in verse 14. We're going to see Abigail's intervention here. Meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants went to Abigail and told her, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. These men have been very good to us, and we have never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was stolen from us the whole time they were with us. In fact, day and night, how's this for a compliment? Day and night, they were like a wall of protection to us and to the sheep. You need to know this, and you better figure out what to do, for there's going to be some trouble for our master and his whole family. In fact, look at this. Again, I'm talking about character in certain areas that is deficient. Listen to what it says. He's so ill-tempered, nobody can even talk to him. Now, I'm speaking to men here, but I know women can be the same way because we both share in sinful nature, do we not? But have you ever been in a situation where you're just in such a cantankerous situation, so mean-spirited, so frustrated, so full of anger, nobody can even talk to you? How in the world can we inspire trust in other people where we create safe environments where people say of us, he's so out of control, or I don't know which dad is coming home, which version of dad is coming home? Because dad is so out of control with his anger, nobody can speak any sense to him. I'm just trying to help us out here. If that is a testimony about our lack of emotional intelligence, We're not going to have relationships around us where our kids love us and share their hearts with us and trust us. Our wife comes and pours her heart out. We're not going to be the person at work that people are going to go to because if you're a hothead and you cannot control your own emotions, it is a character defect that will short-circuit high-trust relationships in your life. And my concern is, is that in church, we have a lot of these kind of scenarios where people will say, well, I'm a person of integrity. I, I'm a man of my word. I'm a woman of my word. I don't lie, cheat, or steal. Well, that's great. But there might be some other issues that are keeping people from being able to trust you. Look at Proverbs 17, 12. I want to give us some, some great verses here. It's safer to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than to confront a fool in their foolishness. Let's go to the next one. Your kindness will reward you, but your cruelty will destroy you. That's a good one, isn't it? So if you, if you always act in kindness, even when people technically don't deserve it, your kindness will be a reward. But if you're cruel to people and you treat people in the same measure that they're treating you, your cruelty will actually destroy you. Now, can I, I need to make a, I need to make a, a, a statement here because there's so much confusion. When the Bible speaks about verses like that, these are not verses for government. These are verses for personal relationships. In other words, there is real evil in the world. Israel has a responsibility to deal with those who perpetrated these crimes. That's called justice. That's why God gives governments the sword. 
I see Christians all the time taking verses like this and applying it to government. Government has the legitimate authority to rule the sword and to go after evil and to stop it. We have the right to keep loving and forgiving on a personal basis because vengeance is not ours, saith the Lord. Amen? David's wrong here because this is an interpersonal affront. David should drop it, not pick up the offense. He should continue to love, and he should continue to entrust his future to the Lord. David's not acting governmentally here. But if you're dealing with terrorists, can I just say this? If you're dealing with terrorists, you get the sword. That's the purpose of government. All right, side note, because I just don't want any confusion with people talking about, well, why is Israel taking the response that they're taking? Because that's what government's supposed to do when their citizens are attacked the way that they've been attacked. All right, moving on. Let's go to the next one. People with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. All right, go to the next one. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. This is good, isn't it? So think about what I said before. There's, there's no pride being taken in the fact that you're somebody who's a straight shooter and you're going to tell it like it is. If you're telling it like it is, it's not cloaked in gentleness. Because then all you do is cause tempers to flare. And I don't know about you, but after being on the planet for six decades now, I've learned that sometimes I just need to shut up. I said that about me personally. I didn't tell you to shut up. I said that you, you make the own application. In other words, some things are better left unsaid. And you heard your mama say this or your grandma say this. If you can't say something nice, don't say it at all. If your opinion towards somebody is not something that's going to edify or uplift them, then just don't say it. And what I found is if you want to be a person that has lots of great relationships, you're usually a person that doesn't always run your mouth. Or how about this? My dad would say many, many times, hey, well, Pastor, what do you think about this? I have no opinion. Like, where do we feel like we always need to be the spokesperson? Like, well, let me just tell you what I think. Why? What difference does it make? I mean, you know, the only opinion that really matters is the Lord's opinion, and what we should be saying is, well, thus saith the Lord. We should be quoting Scripture because my opinion is really no different than anybody else's opinion, and at the end of the day, opinions aren't worth that much. There's only one opinion that matters, and that's the Lord. So we should really be immersed in the Word, and we should guard our tongues, and we should be building relationships, and we should be loving people, and we shouldn't be taking the bait of Satan and latching on and taking offenses everywhere, even though we're going to have much opportunity to do so. But just choose not to do it. Take a look here. These are, these are traits that will absolutely undermine genuine trust and carelessness. Defensiveness. Anger. Narcissism. Drama. Emotional instability. Control. Neediness and dependency. Irresponsibility, codependency, or the lack of boundaries, gossip, and divisive behaviors. I mean, you know, all of those things separate you and cause people not to trust you. And so we should constantly be uprooting these things as they're trying to take root in our hearts. Amen? Amen. And I just want to encourage us, and I'm speaking to our, our culture here because remember, the larger goal is 
we want this culture to be a place where those behaviors are not found. Because if that's the case, we will, be, we will be set up to be a place where the Holy Spirit wants to hang out and where Jesus wants to touch and heal people. How many of you want to be known for that place? Not a place where we're constantly and fighting it, all right? All right, I'm going to finish this up. Look at verse 18. Abigail wasted no time. She understands the urgency. She quickly gathers 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, a bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, 200 fig cakes. She packed them on donkeys, and she said to her servants, go on ahead, I'm going to follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal what she was doing. I'm going to just tell you, they needed marriage class, big time, I'm telling you. <laughs> they needed marriage. I'm not recommending that you do this, but how many know... This woman is taking things into her hands because she knows who she's married to, and they're all going to be dead if she doesn't act in a hurry. So she's packing this amazing potluck supper on the road, and she's taking it out, and, and she's doing really what her husband should have done. Check this out. As she's riding her donkey into the mountain ravine, she saw David and his men coming towards her. And look at what David is doing. And tell me if you have not done this yourself. I've done this a thousand times in my heart. David had just been saying, quote, a lot of good it did us to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness, and nothing he owned was lost or sold in, but he has repaid me evil for good. May God strike me and kill me if even one man from his household is still alive tomorrow morning. Now, let me just say this. Most of us would not verbalize that. <laughs> but how many times have you been offended by somebody and you're rehearsing it in your mind and you are crafting the most amazing speech to let that person know exactly how you feel about how they mistreated you or your boss or your wife or your kids or your fellow coworkers or those people at church? And, man, you got it down pat. Man, you're, you, when you're mulling these things over in your mind, how many of you know that's a clear indication, I have a problem? Yes. Not you have a problem. I have a problem because it's seething on the inside, and David is meditating, premeditating exactly what's going to happen when he gets his hands on this scoundrel's neck. Let's keep reading. I know the Bible's not very relatable to any of us, but let's keep reading. Look at what Abigail does in verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off of her donkey. She bows low before him. She fell at his feet. Listen to what this woman says. Talk about a jewel. I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Wow. She does the exact opposite of what David's doing right now and of what Nabal's doing. She, she takes full responsibility and she calls David, not who is this fellow, in some insulting language. She calls him my Lord. Now, David's running for his life. He's an, he's an outlaw. And she recognizes the anointing and the calling of God on his life, and she honors him with her mouth, all right? I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please Listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please pay no attention to him. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Lord, help us. Now, this is not a picture 
of marital bliss, all right? I'm just telling you that. I'm not recommending any of this for any marriages here today or that you prophesy that over your husband. But how many of you know she knows her man? And everything that she's saying is true. And things are pretty serious at this point because everybody's going to die. So, all right, I'm just trying to justify kind of where she's coming from. She said, I know he's wicked and ill-tempered. Please don't pay any attention to him. He's a fool. (laughs) Just like his name says. But I never even saw the young men that you sent. And I want you to see this. David is literally stunned. He's shocked back into his senses by what he sees. Here's this beautiful woman, Abigail, bowing before him in humility. She's surrounded by this incredible procession of food and gifts. And all of a sudden, David comes to his senses. Now, I want you to see what brought him to his senses. How about this? Humility. Honor. Love. Blessing generosity. I mean, no, if you fight battles on the devil's turf, you're going to get demonic results. But if you fight battles with God's weapons, responsibility, humility, honor, these are incredible weapons. And she's using all of them. Look at verse 26. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking advantage or taking vengeance into your own hands. Now she's prophesying at this point. She's hoping he's listening to her, all right? Let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nabal is. And here is a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and to your young men. Please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. Can you all circle that in your Bible? That should be a verse we put on our refrigerator. Not just verses of God's blessing in our lives, but how about, please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. What if that came off of our lips in all of our interpersonal relationships? Hey, guys, what if we tried that one at home with our wives and our marriages? Please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. That's a great verse. Put that on your refrigerator this week. Come on, let's live that verse. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty, for you are fighting the Lord's battles, and you have done nothing wrong throughout your entire life. Look at what she does. She honors David. She honors his calling. She honors his reputation. She reminds him of God's promises over over his life. And then I want you to see, she says, don't do something that you're going to regret for the rest of your life. How many of you appreciate friends who help you see a little bit beyond the tip of your nose? Like, you know what? This is not going to end well for you if you act this way. Come on, you're better than that. Let's get our eyes back on the Lord. Let's get our eyes back on God's promises for us. Because that's where our inheritance lies, not in all this earthly stuff and human relationships. How many of you know some people, it's like the devil sends them to you just to provoke us and just to get us to be operating in the wrong spirit. Because when you're operating in the wrong spirit, you don't get any of the blessings that God has for your life. Remember, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So if you're not living in righteousness, peace, and joy, you're in the wrong kingdom. And boy, the devil baits us all the time to get us to get out of the kingdom and to take things into our own hands, which is vengeance, all right? Obviously, they needed marriage class. But check this out, verse 29. She's still going. 
Even when you are chased by those who seek you, seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. When the Lord has done all that he promised and has made you leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. Isn't this good? She basically says, come on, come on. Let's get our eyes back on the prize. And I want to encourage us in this crazy time in which we're living Let's keep our eyes on the prize. What is Jesus doing on planet Earth right now? And what does he want to do through the church? And when the devil wants to pull you down and this little bickering and arguing and fighting and anger and strife and confusion, all these things, you need to have people come along and say, come on, man, you got a calling on your life. Come on, God has a purpose for you. Come on, there's more that the Lord has for us. Let's not get bogged down in the filth. Let's not act the way everybody acts. God's got something bigger and better for us. Let's keep our eyes on who we are. We're called of the Lord. We have a divine destiny over this house. Let's live up to what God has called us to be. Amen? And we, and we need friends in our lives who love us enough to tell us this. I was talking to somebody the other day. I'm like, come on, let it go. Why are you holding on to this pound of flesh? Oh, you're not going to go cut his head off, but if it was socially acceptable and you wouldn't have to pay for it, you would. But you're going to hold on to hatred for this person. Stop it. God has so much more. But pastor, you don't know. Who cares what they did? Why do you keep adding such value to what they did? You keep adding value to it and, and, and exalting it in your own eyes. Let it go. It's garbage. Let it go. Let God redeem it. Move in a spirit of honor and forgiveness. Take responsibility. Trust the Lord. Let me end with this. And I got to close. David blesses her, honors her, thanks her for saving him from a stupid, stupid act that he would regret all of his life. And look at verse 36. When Abigail got home, she found that Nabal was throwing a big party and was celebrating like a king, and he was very drunk. This is the epitome of cluelessness because the brother's this far from getting his head whacked off. And he's drunk and living like a king when he's literally on the edge of complete destruction. This is, this is, that, that is the epitome of fool. So she doesn't even tell him till he's sober. And when he sobers up, she tells him, and he goes off into such a rage that he strokes, has a stroke. Can, can I just say this in the body of Christ? There are lots of people that go home before they were supposed to go home because they have a stroke or something like this, because they live their lives wound up like a fool in anger, and they die early deaths. In fact, I want you to see, about 10 days later, 10 days later the Lord struck them, and he died. That is a foolish, wasted life. And you all know the story. When Nabal dies, David says, hey, Abigail. (laughs) 
I like the way you operate, all right? <laughs> Abigail went from being married to a fool to being married to the king. So I just want to encourage you. Now, this is not marital strategy here, all right? <laughs> if you're like, hey, that sounds good. You need to be in marriage class today, all right? I'm not, don't take this the wrong way, a misapplication, but I'm just saying this. Honor the Lord, and God will honor you. Operate in a way that is e high emotional intelligence, all right? Care for people, and don't be a fool. Don't be angry. Don't be out of control. Love people. Watch your mouth. Honor with your mouth, and watch how God's blessing will follow your life, all right? Stay on your feet. Father, bless these amazing people, and help us leave here today as royal subjects representing your kingdom. And, Lord, we thank you that the blessing of God is on your people. Lord, let us be high-trust people. I pray, I'm praying for all you guys, myself included, that people are attracted to you like magnets this week because you're safe, because you're full of the joy of the Lord, and because you love so well. May God use each of us for his glory in amazing ways this week. In his mighty name we pray. And everybody said amen. amen. Hey, I love you guys. Have a great day.